21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. We made over $100,000 in, um, in our Kickstarter. And what people don't really know is that only 4% of Kickstarters make over $100,000. You only really hear about the ones making $4 million in 48 hours, and now they're distributed at Target, and they're on Shark Tank, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. Um, the reality is people, the majority, large majority, 96% of people are struggling with their, their Kickstarter projects. There's a ton of hurdles and things to know about Kickstarter that I'm happy to share. Because uh, when you know you get one fulfillment survey for we sold a thousand, know, it sold like 1,100 um, fanny packs. These, this pack that we made, I, I actually have it here. But this is uh, you know it's got all these great features and it's really tactical and it's full Kitanica. It's overbuilt. But what people don't know is that. You know, when you're done with the Kickstarter, you have to hound information from people. I don't know what color people want. There's, we're making it in two different colors. I don't, some people didn't even pay for shipping. There's like a hundred people that I had to chase down for shipping. You don't, nobody really warned me of any of that. And the thing just ends like, oh, you guys did great. You sold $125,000 worth of stuff. That's awesome. And then everyone involved with Kickstarter makes you, drives you to sell it for as cheap as you can possibly sell it to move it, to make it successful. So we sold these things. It's like, you know, it's a break even marketing maneuver and is what it comes down. You have to go in knowing that. And then when you go in knowing that, now I, you know, the next one is going to be and we're going to do it again because it was great. It was a great marketing. We got a ton of press and we it, it got people behind it to spend a lot of money on advertising, which is sometimes hard to do in a startup world. And we're not a startup. We've actually been around for a long time, but this we kind of treated as such. And so um, it got people like, yeah, like, you know, our investor pals and stuff like, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's run. Kickstarter is awesome. It's a really great platform. And so it is, but it's a ton of work. I'm still dealing with it. And it, it closed out. You know, and, and what's funny is everybody takes a pinch. Kickstarter takes a pinch. Your agency's going to take a pinch. And so there's a lot of things to clear up about Kickstarter. I, mean, I, I could talk about it for hours, honestly, but because I live the reality and I'm still living it. The, the cut, we've been around for 15 years, but Kickstarter, <laughs> the, the people on Kickstarter, are buying things and they don't expect companies to deliver. We make stuff ourselves in house. So we're just, that's all we do is make stuff and deliver it. I mean, that's our job, but this is, we've kind of gone out of our comfort zone a little bit and started making these overseas to, so that we could have some margin and we could make it so it didn't cost them a lot of money. You know, it'd be a $300 fanny pack uh, if, if we made it in the United States. But so we made these in Vietnam, super reputable bag maker, uh, making the industry's top gear they made it and so we're not worried about delivery at all we know that i have a production sample right here it thinks beautiful but the people that bought it are like 
what is it? I need an update. And they're really stressed about delivery. And I'm like, guys, it's coming. It's, it's on a container. It's okay. It's going to be here. Relax. But they want the, thank you so much for the update. Oh my gosh. And it just, it's, I know now that I have to be all over that when I, you know, these guys need to handhold. Oh guys, I just got a new production sample. It looks dynamite. I'm taking it out this weekend. It's going to be, I'll send some and picks and they really want all of that social media and as a gen x an older i'm 52 i'm like i i don't lean into social media and they just want all that information even people that are my age are looking for that because that's the platform so it's it's been like this experience of just eye-opening You are on the market for 15 years, but when you go with Kickstarter, do you go with MVP, with minimum valuable product, or with product that is already done with all features, with everything? We had designed it. We had um, basically samples made, um, our own samples we made, sent them out to... Um, so you have different like A, B testing or some one product? We did one product starter not sold anywhere else and how do you use feedback from the market do you then do you upgrade the product that is already done or no we just made this overbuilt thing that nobody's <laughs> ah, okay before. okay and so okay, we, fair we, enough. we basically didn't didn't take the consumer feedback we were pretty cooked um going in um and we, I mean, we design bags, so mm -hmm. that's what we do. And for we, 15 years, we yes. Knew, yeah, and we knew what we wanted to make and what we our our customers would buy, and so, um, you know, we kind of, it, it, so that that's we we went in. We didn't take customer feedback. We could do that, but it takes so much longer. You're you're you have to go back into sample. So people want as soon, you know they want delivery as soon as possible, and so I think we closed it in February, and we're we're or uh, not February, uh, October. And, um, and so we're, you know, we're going to deliver at the end of this month, we're shipping them out finally, but delays in production. I mean, the pandemics obviously hurt everything in terms of shipping and there was a container shortage at the beginning of this thing. And um, there's just all these delays along the way. And then that's also something that people in Kickstarter are like, what, you know, worried about the timing and like, what do you mean it's going to be another month? And it's like, well, we couldn't get in a container in a month there there's a shortage and we're not, it's not a huge, we're not filling a container We're this, we're at the mercy of whatever's available and there's not much available because there's a shortage. So that's been part of the Kickstarter thing. Very, very interesting topic. And it's, it's connected with cycles. Are there any specific business development cycles that you have after 15 years? So is it, is it still ongoing development of, some specific parts of your business if you can speak about that topic a little bit for all those entrepreneurs that are just three to five years on the market and you are 15 years on the market so they are we are all interested in that topic as well right so you know innovation is a focus of ours because we design things so we design them and some of the some of the stuff that we've made 15 years ago we're still making because people still are looking for it. If we stop making it, our stuff is 
tends to be uh, sold at a premium. It's made in the United States. It's made of really heavy duty materials. Um, so, you know, we sell jackets that are $600. We sell them that are $400, but we also have fleeces and different things. We make jeans that are $99. So, you know, these are the US made products we make. Um, and people save for them. So when you stop making it, they're like, oh my God, I was so close. And then you make something else that's different. But so what we, we, we've done over the years is we've started doing some pre-orders. So, you know, you roll out, okay, not everyone wants this, but we can get enough orders together, to make a run of them because you know, apparel. So we'll make a run of them, pre-sell them. And then you have the money up front, which is beautiful. And then you make them and we're, we're, we sew in-house, we have in-house sewers. Um, and so it's really easy to control that. And that's nice, but we're always innovating. We're, we're, we're designing new stuff constantly um, just to, to have new things and try, you know, uh, new, new designs and um, optimize things too. Like, oh my God, this would be so sweet. You know what this needs? Cause we're wearing them too. And we know and get a lot of feedback from people. Oh, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, we've, we've changed our Raider pants. We've gone from a Cordura knee protection. It's like a combat pant. So it's got like a knee cover and a, and a sleeve for a pad in there. And we've gone from Cordura cause it's kind of warm, uh, and over your knees, uh, last forever, but we've gone to a super fabric, which is actually the fabric impregnated with ceramic, uh, beads and, baked in a way that um it's like part of the fabric so that has made it really durable yet breathable still because the fabric is breathable and um that's been things you know just along the way that we just optimize um but always looking for fabrics that you know we're always looking for oh my god that finally have that stretch fabric we've been looking for the right stretch fabric for shorts for a long time finally found it last year made an awesome pair of shorts that were brand new last summer sold out real quick we didn't make that many because it was kind of late in the season but now we're now we know like oh okay the people want that that's a great short let's make that and let's make it in different colors and so we tease it one year and then we can blow it out the next year um so that we're not like oh if it's <laughs> you know you kind of scale it up once you have a proof of concept and um and always listening to the consumer on like things that and standing by your stuff i mean like if, if you're not gonna replace a zipper if it fails or something like that, you know, you, you just got to be doing that to, to take care of people that especially spending their hard earned money on premium goods that, you know, in our space, there's not a ton of premium tactical gear. And so this is like tactical adventure apparel. So people are putting it to the test too. Like we have pretty much real deal customers that are hard on their stuff. But yeah, innovation is we're always looking for what we should make and we have a cadence of new stuff coming. So we are just about to launch a whole bunch of new bags and, and things that um, we're really excited about. We have for 15 years been making things in the United States with our own sew teams, cut sew, um, design cut and sew here in our in our shop. And we're gonna continue to do that. And But we're also, um, it's hard to wholesale that because the margins are narrow, because our costs are really high. I mean, we're in California, minimum wage is uh, 15 something an hour. Um, and headed up, you know, <laughs> every January it seems to go up. So 
um, our stuff is expensive, especially in places that are like Tennessee or any other like more rural parts of the world. There are minimum wages and anything like that, or other parts of the the world that are have different economies. So. What we're what we're doing is we're starting to look at uh, making things overseas so that we can wholesale them, and that has been a transformation. Um, we've got incredible contacts that we've developed over the years. Everyone wants to work with us because we have a high-end product and we're really all about quality. And that's the key to making sure that this thing's gonna work on a wholesale level is to make sure that the quality is there and the design um, is also there. And making things overseas also lets us, like the Scorpion pack, that was made in Vietnam. That, that it lets us innovate in a way that we aren't able to do that in the United States. If we had to make that in the United States, it would it would have less functionality. Straight up, we just wouldn't be able to make that bag here because no one would buy it because it'd be 350 bucks. So now it's 125 bucks made overseas and it's got everything. It's got shoulder straps. It turns into, you know, it, it's got uh, a billion pockets. It's got a shove it that like comes out over the top that stows in a little zipper compartment. It wouldn't have that if it if it were made here. And uh, so that that's part of uh, this evolution of our company. And it, and I think to your question, it really is like never stop innovating and never take anything off the table. And that's been our mistake. We've been so committed to making stuff in the U.S. that we lost a little bit of sight of like we're we're missing out. We should you know Bass Pro Shops customers want our stuff. I know that. I know that 100%. Like if they had seen our backpack and they were walking through there, we have things that you see and you're like, oh, I'm going to need that. That's going to be part of my life soon. And whether you save for it or you don't, or you just put on the card or whatever, it, there's, you know, our stuff speaks to a certain customer and, and that, that makes it you know, available to, to some that wouldn't pay for it otherwise. And you have amazing synergy, inner synergy, you're very cohesive. So you're a family. Yes. How has being part of a, of a family business helped Kitanic achieve success? Well, there's, there's, we love each other. That's one. I mean, on top of, you know, we run into a lot of challenges. It's not been easy. We're not driving Lambos and, uh, you know, living on the Riviera, we're, we're, we're a bit of a grunt business and been grinding for 15 years. And, um, we all share the passion and, you know, it sounds super cliche to say that, but it's like, <laughs> we could make more money doing other things very easily. And, uh, and I think that, um, it's just like, we kind of have to do it. And so we all share that we're all super dedicated to it. We, um trust each other too where you're you know we're signing contracts and making you know we're moving and so we're signing this giant lease at this other building and and expanding a bit and and like we just know we just trust each other not to have issues and you know screw each other over so there's that but it's also makes it really fun too because we grew up we all grew up together and give each other a hard time and when we travel it's like a you know it's just a big party running around and it's it's fun because you know we we enjoy each other too so um it's it's kind of fun to be on the road as as family what qualities do you have as a as a family that we 
all can learn from. So love, passion. Okay, passion. I don't know. To be sincere, I don't know entrepreneur that does not have passion because otherwise it's you don't do it you bail you're like this you're investing 150 percent of your time and energy and everything and without passion but love love is something very very different than from most of the companies i suppose yeah you don't have that i mean you have you do love i mean I, there's i have other colleagues in in business that i really appreciate and do love but when you go in with that from day one, it's you, that's been something that's grown over the years and you get to know people and spend a lot of time with them. Um, but, you know, in terms of a family business, there's it's it's an automatic and unconditional in a way. Um, but we're very honest with each other, try to be as much as possible and, um, you know, appreciate the effort that each of us puts into it. Do you have some old patterns, behavioral patterns, ego patterns from your childhood or you transformed yourself during the process and now you have different kind of communication? We each have kind of disciplines, you know, we each have disciplines where my brother is the beach, uh, Cronin is the chief of design and he's you know, in my mind, the mastermind behind Katanica. And we kind of, myself and Len, our cousin, um, who's like a brother because we grew up together, um, got in a lot of trouble growing up uh, and just, you know, we're, he's a year older than me and Beej is four years older than me. So Beej has kind of been the older brother and has been, he's a super gifted designer. I mean, for a long time in the early days, we've launched this company you know in the initial days he was a one-man sweatshop you know he was designing cutting and sewing goods for people that needed them and wanted them um and so he he we we trust in his design a lot um and then myself i'm in marketing i'm more of a face person i like people uh they're more he's more designer and um our cousin Len is kind of running operations. So there's a ton of fulfillment, the shipping, the we're, we're consumer direct. So there's customer service, there's taking care of wholesalers and tracking the orders and making sure the inventory is right. What are we out of? What do we need to make? And what, you know, so we work together, um, but we're all doing individual things and uh, that are kind of played to our strengths. You know, um, Len's very, he's, uh, OCD on the organization part, you know, of things. And I am not, I am, I'm a little loose <laughs> with the, with things, but you know, I'm more in the sales side of, of the equation. Um, but that's also one thing I will say about being a 15 year old company is like, we're really good at making stuff. We're not really good at selling stuff. And that has been a detriment to our company kind of, and kept us on the grind because we don't have a giant sales force, you know, and never, um, we could use one and, and we'll get there, you know, but, um, we really are, our strength is really in manufacturing. So.
And as a family business, I suppose you are not thinking about exit strategy as other entrepreneurs, or you are also thinking about exit strategy. We'd love to sell it to somebody who wants to give us a ton of money for it, but no one's going to give us right now in this very moment, you know, based on our balance sheet, no one's going to give us the golden egg and just like, okay, just play golf for the rest of your life. That's great. Um, that's, that's not where we are right now. We're in the, in the build, expand, be aggressive, find new customers, find new ways to sell stuff you know, wholesale to everybody that will take it on and figure out a way to do that. And so that's what we're doing right now. And, uh, you know, soon, soon to have, you know, customers all over the place, because really we do have a global footprint because of the internet, you know, the internet, uh, we has a third of what we make is exported. So, um, we're selling into countries all over the world. Um, Russia was our biggest customer outside of the U.S. until we were unable to sell to them now. So um, they, they like outdoor gear and, and um, people have reached out like, and I can't sell them stuff. And so it's, it's, it's fine for now, but that'll come back as things, hopefully the war ends as soon as possible and, you know, um, get back to that customer base. But right now it's, you know, China, Japan, South Korea, uh, UAE, just Europe. Um, so that 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 word, the, the wholesale, you know, making things offshore will also help us there because import fees are brutal. You know, so you're already taking our expensive gear and mark, you know, with the VAT fees, and it just makes it really tough. And and if you have a Kitanica in Europe, thank you very much because you paid a lot for it. And I know that, you know, I really do. And is, is there any different communication, by the way, between you and your customers in the States and you and your customers in uh, Europe or in Asia? Did you change anything as person responsible for marketing in communication because it's just different emotional triggers or different ways of thinking? Or you know, one of the things that we do kind of avoid is guns in our ads and like on our website, uh, gun culture is, you know, obviously huge in the United States and, and, and a big portion of the tactical community is all about guns and, and our gear is totally holds up. And that's kind of one of the customer bases we do have. And, um, you know, we make stuff for them, you know, we make stuff that lasts forever so that they can, you know, hit the range and they're shooting prone, they're training, they're doing exercises. There's a lot of veteran um, in a lot of veterans in our, our customer base. So, um, but we don't put the guns in our ads and stuff because other countries, it's really off-putting and, and um, even in the United States and algorithms on social media that the pickup on that and they, they'll just not, they'll just cancel you in a way. It, it doesn't help promote yourself um, other than to that base, which is fine. And uh, and so, but for other countries that, you know, don't really have a, a that Second Amendment um, fervor, uh, it just kind of helps that. And I think that's helped us over the years kind of work our way into these other markets um, and become pretty well known.
you know, what's held us back over the years, it has been, you know, U.S. Uh, manufacturing and and the this thinner margins, higher costs, um, driving all of that. Um, and that's why you don't see us in a Bass Pro Shop yet or uh, REI or uh, some of these other larger um, outdoor gear places. Um, so we are working on that and have worked and are working with an investor to make that all happen and, and produce worldwide, um, which uh, we essentially partnered up right before the pandemic. And that person has incredible uh, contacts around the world and believes in us almost more than we believe in ourselves. <laughs> but so that's the partner you want. And, and it's been amazing and really a catalyst for this whole like, okay, we have what we need to, cause it takes capital. It takes uh, connections and networks to make all that happen. And we're, we're um, executing that now. It's not fully baked, but we are um, baking right now. And the Scorpion pack is a first kind of foray into that um as a as one of the products some of the other products are a backpack the vespid it's it's a four zipper backpack it's totally badass in in every way and it's priced where you might you're not going to be surprised by its price tag you know you're if we made it here you would be like oh my god that thing's a lot of money and and you just can't we can't can't compete because it's just a different economy of scale and so It's, and you're not uh, alone i mean yeah I, that, i that's that's why there's nobody making anything in the united states anymore it's just it's so expensive especially sewing especially soft goods and uh you know apparel there's also you know something that nobody talks about is that there's not a lot of fabric made here anymore even where it's because it's pretty nasty stuff the dyes are really bad for the environment um And people don't really talk about it um, and the treatments and the different, like all those uh, coatings and the things that make soft shells beautiful and awesome in the rain. Um, the EPA does not like those, our, uh, our Environmental Protection Agency. And so that's that's kind of limiting too. In terms, 100% in the United States, you either have to make the fabric yourself or um, figure use some fabric that's some sort of You know, and all that fabric's expensive, of course, but um, that's a piece of it too. Is it an organic growth? Is it a leap of faith? It will be organic growth in terms, it'll also be incremental because we're selling consumer direct mostly now. We have some wholesale accounts and we do, you know, wholesale to government agencies and um, things, you know, things of that nature and kind of around the world as well. Um, but the, This will be a this will be getting into the wholesale game and it will be above and beyond what we're doing with our domestic manufacturing, which we're still going to do. We're still going to have so shop. We're still going to make awesome gear. We're we're going to make people save for our clothes and they'll, and they'll buy them. Um, although, you know, not everything I speak about it like everything's crazy money, but it, it, that's not the case. It's just uh, some of our things that we're really well known for, like our motorcycle jackets and, and just really heavy Cordura stuff is gets expensive because the sewing takes forever, you know? So, but um, yeah, that's, it will be incremental and it, it's, it's super exciting and start stocking inventory on other things and expanding what we're capable of doing and making and like, Oh, okay. And, and finding places 
in, I think that's the most exciting thing to me is finding places where we can innovate where nobody else, oh, nobody else has made XYZ. They haven't made this. This is like a hole in the product strata, you know? So these guys are going to want this because one, we made it. It's totally well-designed and it, and it's going to last forever and nobody else has it. So we're going to patent it and sell it in. way to be successful as an entrepreneur is you're going to have to be an optimist. I mean, you can't go into work and the sky is falling every day because you're going to have a lot of challenges, but you have to celebrate your wins. You have to find solutions wherever, wherever you get stopped. And not every day is going to be a grand slam home run uh, champion day. There's going to be down days where like, you know, you're, you don't necessarily see how you're going to get through it or overcome the challenges that are being posed but you just have to know that you are going to and that and keep it all in perspective that at least you're doing what you love and um but you also need to know when to call it i think that's important too like don't go baroque broke doing it uh you know and don't just listen to your family this is a family business and you know when your family's not always honest with you, um, you're, and I'm not speaking about my partners because they're very honest with me and uh, we are with each other, but I'm saying, you know, yes, your mother is going to think your design is the best design that's ever been designed. Um, so I, you know, we've, we're really in the, in a mode where we're transforming the, our business, even 15 years in, we've been grinding away, um, in, in, and making it work and making clothes in the United States. And we've always been super committed to that. And we still are, we're not giving up. We're not putting, letting off the gas pedal on that. In fact, we're kind of, we're moving and we're expanding our operations and making a better shop and uh, a better place for people to work um, in general. But we're also expanding overseas to some overseas production so that we can wholesale some of this stuff and we can put it into retailers because for 15 years, we haven't really done that. We've done a very modest amount of that in um, really more specialty stores that have customers that are willing to pay, um, you know, around the world actually is mostly where we're, we're not so much in the US as wholesaling as we are in China, Japan, um, Russia even, and uh, Europe. So um, now it's going to be more affordable. We're going to have more styles, more gear. We're bringing it to the world in a way that we haven't done before. Super excited about it. But, um, you know, that's us reinventing ourselves 15 years in. And, I, you know, we never stopped innovating from the first day we started this. And we were always making, I mean, the whole business, our whole Titanica business is making stuff that doesn't exist. So, um, and overbuilding it, over engineering it, and making it something that's visually, just aggressive looking in general. It's just part of our aesthetic. It's got a kind of paramilitary look to it, um, but uber functional. You know, people use our stuff for everything, work pants, combat pants, the range, camping, hiking, hunting, motorcycling is a big thing that our, our customers do. Um, but anyway, yeah, we've been around for a while, but that's the mindset we've always had is like, well, you know, what are we gonna make that's new and different and that nobody else is making? 
or how do we make that better? We just came out with a fanny pack that we've never made before. And the thing's awesome. We're super proud of it. And we're really proud of the work we do. So that's part of what keeps us going is just kind of the pride in the fact that we're making things that we think are cool as well as you know our customers and finding people that also think it's cool. Check out our gear at kitanica.com, K-I-T-A-N-I-C-A.com. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast. A Gold Awarded Journey, hosted by Martin Piskorik. Connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.